Hey, it's Timmy Whispers from Stacey King's Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track, all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure you can take on any adventure. I'm planning on going river rafting this weekend, and I'm ready to head out on the trails with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tough weekend for Chicago sports fans. The Bears knocked out of the playoffs. Their season is over. The Bulls with two tough losses out in L.A. And Kyle Schwarber, he signs with the Washington Nationals. How about that? So we're going to try to lighten the mood a little bit with the latest edition of Gimme the Hot Sauce. Welcome into the latest edition of Gimme the Hot Sauce. I'm Mark Schanowski, joined by the star of the show, Stacey King. John Walsh alongside, I think Southside Susie's in the building, but Timmy Whispers missing in action. Stacy, your buddy went down to Florida and he's already complaining. It's 50 degrees. <laughs> I'm not having any fun. Oh, man, you know, I, I, he just left me. He left me. He left me up here in the cold and snow. And you know what? I was wondering where he was because normally you can't hear him anyway, so I right. just assumed he was somewhere in the, in the building, but now I found out he's in Florida. <laughs> well, it has been a rough weekend, though, in terms oh. of rooting for Chicago sports teams. One thing about Timmy Whispers, remember he said that there would be plenty of beer? Yeah. That beer would be flowing? It's tapped out? They're completely <laughs> tapped out. Oh, okay? wow. Yep, he synced it up out. with him leaving wow. town. The keg is dry. That's terrible. <laughs> and that's our good buddy. He's taking care of us here. At the Nautilus Medical Facility. Hey, Stace, uh, you, you watched a couple of games with the Bulls where they, you know, you talk about the fact they could have been 4 0 on this Western trip. Instead, they got to go 1 and 3, and both games ended in similar fashion. Zach Levine had spectacular scoring nights, but tried high difficulty shots late, and the Bulls come up short against the Lakers and the Clippers. You know what? I'm, I'm excited with what, what I've seen, Mark. You know, they're, they're playing very well as a team, they're moving the basketball. Uh, they're getting better defensively, you know, even though they scored a lot of points. But they very easily could have been 4-0 four on, four on this trip or 3-1. and one. I think the biggest thing now for this team is to learn how to close games out, learn how to win games. You, you play so hard. Tonight, I mean, being in a game against the Clippers, they had, I think the Clippers scored 29 or 30 points off their turnovers. If they cut those turnovers in half, they win that game yeah. easily. And those mistakes have to be, you know, those empty possessions. I mean, there was countless empty possessions where they came in and just threw the ball away or out of bounds. Uh, those have to be eliminated. But I think the biggest thing for this team is is to try to learn how to win close games down the stretch and understand the situation. How about the uh, task for the rookie Patrick Williams? He has to LeBron James Friday night, then wait uh, Sunday afternoon in the same Staples Center building and guard Kawhi Leonard. Now, Kawhi had one of his best games of the season today, knocking out all kinds of three-point shots, but 
Williams, I thought, handled it in a very mature way for a 19-year-old. He says, I get better because I get a chance to see these guys in person and get a chance to study their games and what I can do myself to get better. He had a very good game against the Clippers, shot the ball well from three-point range. And even though uh, Kawhi had a big scoring day, I, th- I thought uh, Williams did about as well as you could against him. Well, I mean, in the sequences that I watched him guard Kawhi Leonard, he did a great job on him. He made it very difficult for Kawhi to get shots. And I said that was one of my keys in the Open today is make their star players work. Don't let them rest on either end. Make them have to compete for, you know, 48 minutes. And I thought Patrick Williams really did that. I thought he he really took the fight to Kawhi. And one thing you take away from that is, you remember, he's only 19 years old. And Kawhi is is an established superstar in this league. He saw LeBron a couple nights before. He saw Giannis. I mean, he's played these guys about as well as a 19-year-old can play, and it's only going to give him good experience. The Bulls have a a kid that I think in a few years is going to be a Kawhi Leonard type of player. I don't want to say he's baby Kawhi or baby claw like some people want to call him. I I think he's going to set himself up to have his own identity. And the one thing I've seen so far out of him is that he's got a defensive reputation already at 19 years old. They allow him to play physical. You know, they don't. the superstar players are not getting the calls that superstar normally get because the kid's got a reputation at so early in the game as of being a 19-year-old uh, that he's got, a, he's got a good, you know, foundation defensively. And I think that's awesome. How about the comments from LeBron James after the Friday night's game? He said that, you know, he knew he couldn't mess around with the ball because he said Patrick Williams, he could see just by being on the court with him, he had the Kawhi-like hands. And he said he knew that he could get in the lane and flick the ball away from him so he wasn't going to mess around with his dribble. And he had nothing but great things. He said Chicago's got a good one. The kid plays with poise. He's laser-focused. He didn't do a lot of talking. He's just focusing in on what needs to be done. And, you know, LeBron is the statesman of the NBA right now, but I think those comments had to make the kid feel awfully good. Well, when you have the, the, the best player in the game make those compliments to you, that's only going to make your confidence go up to a 1,000%. And then you turn around and you had conversations with Kawhi Leonard tonight at the game, and, and you know he probably gave him some praise as well. Um, it's only going to help his confidence. And the one thing I like about him is, is that you know he's 19 years old and he looks like he's you know been in this game for 10 years. He's never in a rush. He understands where he's supposed to be on the floor. And I remember coming in as a 21-year-old and how fast the game was. You know, everything was super fast. The guys were bigger, stronger than what I saw in college. And, you know, I, I was, you know, kind of like a deer in headlights, you know, me and BJ. But you watch this kid at 19, only one year of experience, and he was a sixth man at Florida State. To be able to walk in and get inserted in the starting lineup, and you got to remember, Mark, there was no summer league. There was no really no preseason. They didn't get together and work out. He's really just been thrown into the, the fire, and now he's got to go out there and perform, and I think he's done a great job. Kobe White, a career-high 13 assists in the game against the Clippers. It looked like he got banged up a little bit early in the game, but he was able to bounce back and really run the offense. And that's something that Billy Donovan said, that's how I judge Kobe White is how he gets other players involved. Sure, I know he can score. He's a a, a quick-scoring threat. He can score 25, 30 points in a game. But I want to see him run an NBA offense. What kind of progress have you seen in that regard? I think each and every game he's gotten better. Um, He had some key turnovers at the end of this game that kind of hurt, hurt the team a little bit. But those are growing pains. This is, you know, this is a kid who I thought last year should have been a starter. I thought, especially the second half of the season, with the way he was playing, there wasn't a better rookie other than Zion and and you know John ja Morant last year. And I thought there was a stretch in you know second half of the season 
after All-Star break where he was probably one of the best rookies. And, you know, they didn't start him. They didn't play him. They had him playing that Ben Gordon role coming off the bench, being instant offense. And I think that hurt his game a little bit because at that point, you know, you had to come to the to realization that you're not going to make the playoffs. So why not start the kid? Why not give him the keys to the car? And let's see what he can do. And now Billy Donovan's come in, and they basically gave him the keys to the car. And he recognized there's going to be some ups and some downs with Kobe, but they're willing to live with it. This is what player development is. And you can see that Billy Donovan is a very good player development coach in all these players. Look at, look at Wendell Carter Jr. Wendell Carter Jr. was not even an offensive threat his first couple of years in the league. And then all of a sudden now, you know, he's getting 22, 23 points. You know, he's, he's a big factor in what they're doing. You know, I've been covering the Bulls for the last 30 years, and, and I think one of the most polarizing players I've seen is Zach Levine. He certainly divides the fan base. You know, like they take, for instance, the game against the Clippers. He scores 45 points. He hits 10 three-pointers. He makes so many amazing shots. And then with the Bulls down three, he comes off a screen, kind of double-teamed, and ends up shooting an air ball. And then his comments afterwards were, I made 10 threes in the game. I'm going to go and make a play. And that, that is the mindset of the great ones, that I'm going to try to make a great play. But I know there's a, there's a big percentage of the fan base that said, there's four other guys with you on the court. Make the right basketball play. Where, where do you sit on the whole Zach Levine conundrum? Well, he does got a point. I mean, he's the Bulls' best player. He's the go-to guy. And he, he did have it going on. And, you know, it's very similar to that Laker game the other night. It's like, you know, you got the last shot. You're only down one. This is where you have to get good shots. Because at the end of that game, you don't want to leave any time for LeBron James and the Lakers to right. t- take a shot. And, you know, he took a shot, which gave, you know, the Lakers a chance. You know, they were up one. And then it was like five point something seconds left. They ran the clock out and ended up winning the game. And that's the kind of shot that you wish that, you know, he would have taken that ball to the hole or let it go all the way down, you know, go have a walk-off type of moment, you know, drive and kick it to someone else. Um, but today's game was a little different because he did have it going. And, and, you know, at one point he was the only, you know, Bulls offense that was scoring consistently. And at the end of that game, though, you know, I, I was I thought they could have got a better shot. I thought they could have got a better possession because there was a lo- enough time to to be able to get a good shot off. And then on the on the same thing, they had Patrick Beverly on him, who's their best on ball defender next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And then they had help. You had Morris come off, left his man to come off and double. And Zach still tried to get the shot up and. Listen, Zach, Zach is going to live and die. He figured he had 10. I'm going to go for 11. <laughs> so he got to shoot his mentality. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Stacy, uh, you've mentioned a lot of players here that the Bulls have faced. And I know you're calling games every night. But just if you're an NBA enthusiast and you're going to watch a game, you know, if you're not doing a Bulls game, what player, like, you know, Beal had 60 and Curry's been going off and you mentioned Kawhi. Dantich, you've talked a lot about, but if there's one player on the schedule and you're at home, you know what player is that that you're going to go must see TV? I've got to watch this guy play tonight. Man, that's 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 interesting. I, I would I would probably say, ah, oh, John, you got me there, man. There's so many. Steph Curry's a treat to watch, especially his warm ups. But I would probably I would probably go Luca. I would probably go Zion Williamson because he's such a beast. John Morant, 
you know, I mean, I'm going back to my little political things where, what do you always say when I don't give you the right yeah, answer? Uh, uh, no new taxes. Senator running, King. Yeah, running, running for office. There's so many, there's so many good players that you're like, I'm you know. I'm Stacey King. That's right. And I and approve I this message. That, yeah. No, but I, I would I would say like if I was really saying the NBA like the must who gets Kawhi, you excited like when you when you see that they're on the schedule and you know I would probably I'd say right now like, who, I'd probably say Zion Zion Williamson Zion. just because of of his athleticism and and his talent that he has and he's just a beast I mean uh, he's undersized but he plays way bigger than he is it's amazing how he's able to just manhandle people at his size he kind of reminds me of a, a more athletic Charles Barkley because Charles Barkley dominated people too at his size and he's only 6'4 yeah. and Zion's probably about a legit 6'7 but man he he's an animal and John's been doing his research. He's flooding the Bubble Up app with uh, all kinds of information about NBA. <laughs> you, you told us about a factoid about Zion and Shaquille O'Neal. I, I yeah. th- that's a pretty impressive number. Yeah, I, I, he's the first guy. His first 32 games has like 711 points. Yeah. In this day and age, all we do is talk about guards and, and threes, right? 711 points in the 30, first 32 games, the most since Shaq. Yeah. So... That's you pretty know, good. Yeah. When you're mentioning and, that kind of company, that's and, not bad. Him and, and MJ. The King, you know, he predicted, you know, with uh, Stan Van Gundy, let, letting the chain, what would you call it, letting him loose a little bit. Yeah, man. You know? let, the, let, the, let the beast out, man. And, they, and I said this all along with this kid. Like, I thought they had kid gloves with him last year. Uh, I thought they, you know, they protected him. They didn't want him to get hurt. And, you know, he missed a majority of the first part of the year. And then when he came back, you saw flashes of what he could be. You know, and then, you know, Stan Van Gundy's like, hey, listen, he's been around this game for a long time. Your best players have to play. They've got to be on the floor. You've got to let them them play and give them the ball. Your best player just can't be floating around and just, you know, there in body, but not there with everything that he can bring, the total package. So it's like having a a, a Ferrari, okay? You know, you're just going to sit there and leave it in the garage and never drive it? (laughs) It's just like I got this beautiful car that is this – this with this goes 200 miles an hour. And I'm just gonna look it, at it. I'm just gonna it. wipe it down, look at it. I'm getting in it. I'm driving it. <laughs> I'm driving it. So if I'm, that's what Stan Van Gundy says. Hey, he's getting in that car. He's driving Zion. You're gonna play 40 minutes a night for yeah. me. Forget the minutes restrictions. He's gonna be out there. He's big enough. He can handle it. Yes, Where Zion was the number one pick in the 2019 draft, and in the 2020 draft, a lot of people felt that Lamelo Ball, even though he was the third overall pick, has the highest upside. Now Patrick Williams is in that conversation as well. But LaMelo, the youngest player to record a triple-double the other night. I know you like his game as well. I've said he reminds me of Luka. Yeah. He's, he's, he's that kind of player where what I mean by that is is that you know his vision is uncanny. If you watch Luka Doncic play, some of the passes that he makes in his vision is just unbelievable. Uh, he's a shot maker. Uh, he's a tough kid. You know, I, I remember Shaq Stevenson. I mean, Shaq um, uh, Harrison was was talking trash to him in Dallas when we played in Dallas, and he just pointed up to the scoreboard. I think he had like 38, <laughs> and he had just hit a four-point play on him, and he just pointed up to the scoreboard and basically said, look, yeah. you're, you're really talking to me? <laughs> like, look, I just gave you 38. You're really yep. talking to me. So, But I, I like LaMelo. I, I think LaMelo has a chance because of his size uh, and his vision, his court vision. I mean, you've seen it his whole career. I mean, that's one thing he's always been able to do is pass the basketball. So, um, you know, I, I think that I think you know the Hornets got a good one. 
Bradley Beal coming up with a 60-point performance the other day, but bad news for the Wizards. Thomas Bryant, their starting center, who's really come on the last year or so, suffers a torn ACL. He's out for the season. And and you have to get the feeling that at some point, Bradley Beal's going to blow because he said afterwards that, you know, I'm tired of scoring career highs and we don't win. And and I think he's going to try to force his way out of there real soon, Stacey. Well, pass the ball then, Bradley. <laughs> if you're tired of scoring 50 points, pass well, who's the he gonna damn pass it to? ball. Mixing it anybody, 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 anybody. You, you got, you got, you got, you got uh, Russell Westbrook there. He's been pass sitting out a lot. the ball. <laughs> I've never heard anybody who scores like that saying, "Man, I'm, when I was in Oklahoma, when I was dropping 40, yeah. I wasn't even thinking about talking about passing. I would never get tired of shooting. And for him to say, "Oh, I'm tired of losing." Oh, 50 points. I need that. Man, please. You better stop complaining. Boy, is hey, he running for office in I don't DC? know, man. I don't know. Hey, hey, scoring, scoring gets you paid in this league. I don't know what you're talking about. They're hey. not paying everybody to go get you no know, six, seven rebounds. Hey, I just want to say the Cleveland Cavs, I don't know if you saw, they played Thon Maker, McGee, and Drummond at the same time on the yeah. floor. And once again, I know everybody likes It's like the scoring, Washington Generals. But, man, you watch Andre Drummond. When he gets out there and he gets going, he had 25 points, 26 points, 24 rebounds. I mean, this guy, we thought he was going to get 30-30. I mean, once again, it's just one of those little nuances when you watch the game. You're like, you watch that guy, and he's out there, and he's breaking a sweat. He, he, he's battling. He's, he's just empty stats, though. The guy, the guy did the same thing in Detroit. He does not affect winning. Hater in the house. Hater in the house. Hater in the house. Did you see his Shackton play the other night where he tried to drive in the lane and threw it backwards? I saw it. Man, hey, man. I, I will say this. I, listen, man. I, we got a hater in the house. But I'm going to say, <laughs> we got a hater. Mark Shanowski hater. Anyway. Well, you were you were loving Bradley Beal a minute ago. <laughs> Come on now, Ken. <laughs> no. But Bradley that Beal wasn't hate. I don't Brad, know what it is. Bradley Beal was complaining about scoring. I would have loved to score 50 points at the NBA level. You would never hear me complaining. But as far as Drummond is concerned, Drummond, oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't want to say empty stats, but they're not – he's not winning, you know. And I believe when you put up those kind of stats, you got to be winning, you know. And in Detroit, it was like he could get every rebound and they still would lose – and that's my big thing with him. But he does have talent. It's just a matter of what I think with him is to get people around him that can that can really help him grow as a player. Because, like, you know, Mark said, empty stats. Yeah, they might be empty stats, on you know, but fantasy points or whatever. But that's still 25 rebounds. <laughs> 25 yeah, rebounds. I, 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 25 I, I, rebounds. Or 10 offensive rebounds is 10 offensive rebounds. That's a big number. That's no, a big, I was just going to tell you. That's not against Sisters of the Poor. <laughs> yeah, that's not against, it's not against Sisters of the Poor now. Just to show I don't hate his game in regard to the numbers, my son asked me, he had his fantasy draft a couple of weeks ago, and he goes, you know, he's, the clock's ticking. He goes, I, I, need, I need a guy who can get rebounds. Who should I take? And I said, Andre Drummond. Well, now you're going to try to be nice because yeah, Andre yeah, Drummond yeah. just walked in the door. Andre, how you doing? Yeah, here's a guy talking trash to you right here. Where's he at? I'm you. Who's that Chanel's going to kick his ass? I've been set up like that before, Stacey. Ah, ah, he's scared. Don't be scared. Get the pepper spray. He got the pepper spray, ladies and gentlemen. Somebody, somebody tried to set me up with Robin Lopez uh, a couple of years ago saying I was talking bad shit about him, which wasn't true. <laughs> Were you in a mascot uniform at the time? <laughs> I, I would have walked in with a mascot <laughs> uniform, yeah. Shanazi, you show me, show me something over here. Don't mess with Shanazi, you get a two piece. 
Hey, the big story in the NBA going on right now, and it's unfortunately has nothing to relate it to great scoring performances or individual numbers. It's the fact that uh, the virus is doing a number on a, num- a number of teams right now. The Boston Celtics had to postpone their schedule game Sunday night against the Miami Heat because they couldn't come up with eight players, which is required in order to play an NBA game. And then the day before, the 76ers only had seven guys who were healthy. They dressed up and dressed another guy just to have eight, but he wasn't healthy enough to play. What's going on? You think it's going to get to the point where maybe the league's going to have to shut down for a couple of weeks? I, I hope not. I mean, every team is going to be hit, you know, because of the travel, you know. And then, you know, in the bubble, we talked about the bubble situation. You know, the bubble was, was mandated. Everybody had to stay within the bubble. So they were able to keep everything in-house. The other thing the NBA was forced to deal with uh, this week, which all of us in America were forced to deal with, was the protesters storming the Capitol and, and just the ugly scenes that we saw on our television sets and devices of what was going on there. And, and, and Stacy, I know that the, that touched you in terms of what's going on in our country, the fact that w- with all the progress we're trying to make, sometimes it seems like we'll take one step forward and multiple steps back. Well, it was, it was really disgusting as an American citizen to see that. You know, I mean, to turn it on and see all these people storming, you know, the Capitol and and the lives that were in danger. It just it was just so sad. I mean, it's one thing to protest and, you know, whether you agree with someone protesting or not or what they're protesting. okay, that's one thing. As long as it's a peaceful protest and, you know, if you don't like the election and how it went, you can protest, protest it. That's what America's all about. But to do what they did. You know, that that was disgusting and it was an embarrassment and the whole world saw it, you know, and, and it's watching and we're supposed to be out in front. We're supposed to be the leading country. People follow what, you know, the United States does. And, you know, you're not united when things like that happen. And that's sad. And so many NBA players spoke out about the fact that what if all those people storming the Capitol would have been black? What would have happened then? And I know that's something that, that is really a concern for players in the NBA and all people of color. Well, it's true. I mean, you, you saw the Black Lives Matter when they marched uh, in June, even Craig, you know, talking about it. Uh, you know, how many National Guards were on the steps? How many, you know, D.C. police was on the steps? And, you know, with the African-Americans, the way we look at it is if that would have been you know, an African-American or brown person, they probably would not even made it to the first step. They would right. have been executed. And that would have been really a mass murder. We'd be talking about, you know, hundreds of people being shot and killed. And then you'd have a faction of people saying, well, they deserved it because they attacked the, you know, the Capitol building. They deserved that. And, you know, to see these people run up in here and do what they did and, you know, and just, just, basically desecrate the Capitol building, bringing in rebel flags and nooses. I mean, it was an absolute embarrassment. And if you're an American citizen and you saw this, you should should honestly be embarrassed. Well, Stacey mentioned Craig, and that's going to be our special guest today. Craig Hodges, the three-time NBA three-point shooting contest champion, three consecutive years that he won that title. Craig, of course, played on the first Bulls two championship teams with Stacey King. He's going to join us to talk about his times with the Bulls, his times with the Milwaukee Bucks, his love for playing for Tex Winter, and, of course, what is going on in our country with all the political unrest. That is next on Gimme the Hot Sauce. Total of 30 points is possible. Look at this. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable. 
that. He needs one more. Yes, who will ever forget Craig Hodges knocking down 19 straight three-pointers. Hodge, of course, a three-time NBA three-point contest ch- champion, along with the great Larry Bird. We want to welcome into Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast with Stacy King. I'm Mark Shanowski. And, Craig, tell the folks what you're doing now. People haven't seen you in a while. Hey, what's going on, Mark? Good to hear you, man. Uh, first of all, just thank God for, you know, being safe and healthy and the family's doing well right now. Um, so I've just been doing a lot of, you know, researching and writing. Right now I'm out in Arizona hanging out with a buddy of mine that I grew up with. So it's just been uh, it's, it's been cool, man, you know, during this crazy time researching things and, and just trying to stay centered as best I can. You get a chance to watch the NBA game now, Craig, especially being a great three-point shooter like you were. What, what is your impersonation, your impression of, of – the game, the way it's being played now with all the threes that's being shot. Saw Steph Curry have 60-something the other night. Where, how would your game tra- – <laughs> I know your game would transcend this, but how would, you, how would your game transcend to this, this league, this, this so era? So you, you, stop, you, you, you stop and think about it, Stacey. If I would have been winning three-point contests like I was winning then, I would have probably got to put up at least 14 or 15 threes a game, which is crazy. Yes. You know, but I don't know if – I don't know if MJ, Scotty, yourself, I don't know how much I would like me dribbling down, shooting all the time, nor would it have been allowed. You know, the way we played ball, it was a different thing, man. I think, um, you know, the analytics like we spoke of earlier has taken a, a major hold of the game. And, you know, a lot of guys who are shooting three-point shots shouldn't really be shooting them. So it's really been hard for me to watch the game, actually. The stuff down in the bubble, when I was watching that, it looked like it was a video game to me. And to me, that's one of the biggest things that the NBA can really market right now with the pandemic and everything is the video side of it. So a lot of it doesn't even look realistic at times. Hey, Craig, you, I spent some time covering you in Milwaukee when you played for the Bucks, and you played under Don Nelson for a while. Nelly was a guy who was an innovative head coach. I remember when he was at Golden State, he had Manute Bowl standing out shooting three-point shots. What was your experience right. like playing for Don Nelson, and, and what do you think Nelly would be like with these analytics and, and teams putting up 53-pointers a game? You know, I think one of the things about Nelly is a lot of stuff that he did was very practical. A lot of stuff that we see today isn't really practical, and I, I still think that Nelly understood that uh, to win a championship, you had to play defense, and I think offensively, he, he led the innovation of point forwards. In fact, Paul Pressey was one of the first point forwards with our team in Milwaukee, and that's when I started really shooting threes. I went from being a point guard with my hands on the ball to a, you know basically a spacing guy to enable guys to get to the paint, whether it was uh, him, Terry Cummins, or Sidney Moncrief. So for me, it was one of those things where it was a, um, one of those adaptation things where you learn how to play the game in certain ways and you adapt yourself to, in order to, to maintain a longevity in the game. And, and Nelly was one of the people, to me, was one of the great coaches that I've been blessed to play under, man. Steve Fisher was my high school coach. Tex Winter was my college coach. Uh, I had Paul Silas, uh, Jimmy Lynham, Don Nelson, Cotton Fitzsimmons, Doug Collins, and Phil Jackson. So for me, man, I had, I had great tutelage while I was in the game to be able to understand how the game should be played. And, and looking at the way they're playing it now, I think that, if, you know, whoever goes back to the, the original way of playing basketball inside out, I think they'll be able to contend for championships year in and year out. When you, you talk about all the great coaches you played for, Craig, you know, give our mm-hmm. listeners a little taste of what it was like playing for Tex Winter 
as a college coach and then as a pro coach? Because I absolutely love Tex. Incredible, man. You know, whenever, you know, we speak of it, man, for me, it's, you know, Tex was my, basically a dad to me, man. Come as an 18-year-old, leaving Chicago, going to Long Beach, California. Really not, really, I had great tutelage. Like I said, Steve Fisher was a, he was a major uh, guy for fundamentals. So my fundamentals were pretty, pretty much sound when I got to Tex. But the first day of practice, Tex told us to forget everything we knew about basketball. And which was something <laughs> amazing, which was amazing for us. And and then, you know, for yourself, for me to have had the triangle for four years and then for us to pick it up and win championships with it. You know, I remember when we were going to implement it and all the guys were, oh, uh, you just want to do it because Texas is your guy. And I said, wait, wait till November and you'll see why we're utilizing something that's going to be able to be more efficient for us. And at the same time, at the end of the year, we'll have utilized less energy and as far as Michael was concerned, going one-on-one a lot, you know, so the innovations that I saw from Tex Winter, from what we learned in college over a four-year period compared to, you know, when I tell people that, you know, based on what I learned in college to what has won championships in the league, you know, people winning championships, whether it be Phil Jackson, whether it be Popovich, whether it be uh, Steve Kerr in Golden State, they're all using triangle stuff. And when you look at it, it's only a third of the system from what I learned, because we learned the triangle all the way from full court pressure, all the way to planted against zones and the like. So when you look at it on a professional level, it had to be compressed to a degree. And Tex Winter, along with, you know, Phil giving him total reign of the offense. So I tell people all the time, Stacey, how blessed we were to have had the coaching staffs that we had, that, you know, we had Johnny Bob, who was, just as involved offensively to me as he was defensively because that was the way that, you know, the staff handled things. And and people talk about, you know, I tell people the Zen master is cool, but to me it was the crux of what he had as a staff that could allow him to just basically relax into game situations. Hey, Craig, the last couple of weeks we had a a couple of your former teammates on, Cliff Levingston and Scott Williams, and and they talked about those great practices where the second unit would really take it (laughs) to MJ and Pip and the starters. What what was it like playing with a a fun-loving kid from Oklahoma like Stacey King? Man, you know, and you know what's so funny is that when I was just probably 15 minutes before this, I was thinking about Stacey, you know, the levels that we had on our squad. It It was almost a perfect, you know, it was a perfect, fraternity if you look at it in that way that you know we had the elders who were me bill and Pax, who had been through some battles along with mj who was that superstar drummer that we had and then we had you know the up-and-coming silly guys who were horace and scotty and then we had the incoming young guys like bj scotty scott williams and, and stacy who all came in wide-eyed, wanting to do great things right away, but having to fit into the system. And it was so many times, it was so many times in practice where they would be getting their thing off so much, and then it would come the game, and they're sitting down, and they can't wonder, and they're looking at me like, ah, right, what's up, hey, man, let's practice, and then this game. So for us as a team, we understood the give and take of, you know, and when somebody was rolling, whether it be Stacy, you know, getting in the game and, and getting four or five touches and scoring four or five buckets, you know, people realized that the impact that that would have in the long run. And we had, you know, and one of the things that I, you know, I have to applaud both Stacy, BJ, as well as uh, Scott Williams, that their basketball intellect was such coming into the game that they were able to see 
their way through it to see where they were going to fit in the longevity of things and be able to make their way, first of all, from a defensive end of things, where Stacy had to come in and, and guard people. And, and then at the same time, you know, he had he had a level of speed that no other big man had. So he could offer, he could defensive rebound and, and, and sprint up the court and beat somebody to the block and get a quick, easy layup and be back on defense. So it was certain things that everybody in our, on our team had that was unique and, and what it blended in to make us uh, a championship squad. Hey, Craig, I just wanted to ask you real quick, uh, you know, you those teams you played on in Milwaukee, they all were over 50 win teams first place yeah. a couple of times you know I, I know we're talking bulls uh in the audience but i grew yeah. up in boston and and i remember those great teams going against the celtics the sixers 87 man yeah 80 well 85 86 what was it like when you got in the playoffs i mean talk about you, you mentioned the bubble <laughs> and how different the game is the video concept wow. but i just yeah. remember guys getting knocked on their ass mikhail you know how okay. intense were those those series when you when you went in and played a, you know a really really good Milwaukee Bucks team that never really saw you know the finish because right. of Philly and the you know the Celtics and you know you know the wildest part is that um, and and Nelly's my boy but we would always say that whenever we would go into Boston Garden in the playoffs Nelly wouldn't coach the way he would normally coach and for whatever reason it would be you know, innovative stuff that we're looking for in a timeout down the stretch that he would come up with something, a wrinkle that would get us there. And we would come to the huddle and it wouldn't be any information at times where we were sitting there as a team saying, damn, what is it? Is it, is it, is it the, 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 the ghost of Boston garden or is it the fact that you played for Red R back and he anointed you this opportunity or what? But the teams that we had in Milwaukee, I would challenge to say that during those years that we were, we were great regular season teams, I guess you would have to say, but as far as the complement of players we had and the manner in which we played, man, we were perhaps the top defensive team in the league for some years because we were able to play a defensive style where, once again, Nelly was uh, very innovative, man. We we had times when I would have to play against Detroit and I never would have to guard a screen and roll which was cool for me where it would, as soon as he, Isaiah would come off a screen and roll, Nelly would have somebody coming from a different angle. So it was, it was always something that was, you know, he would, but at the same time, I would say this, he was, he was a tough ass for the first 40 days of, of preseason and regular season, man. And that was the, perhaps the hardest training camp I've ever had in my life was when I got traded from Milwaukee, from San Diego to Milwaukee. And we had 30 straight days of tour days, including games. Ooh. And Nelly's, Nelly's tour days were not no joke where, you know, the only people who wouldn't really practice were the first eight players. So if we had a preseason game that night, that morning practice would be two and a half hours and then you, you would go play in the game. So for us, but once we got past about mid-December, it was a it was a coasting thing where it was almost that if we came to practice and there was six guys there and we started playing playing three on three, practice would start from that point. So as guys came in, we would play four on four, and then Nelly would see us kind of see us out there practicing like that, and practice would start like that. So we figured out that we don't have to do any of this <laughs> nonsensical pre-running and stretching and all that mundane stuff if we just went out there. So I talked to Ricky Pierce all the time, and he and I played more one-on-one and three-on-three and two-on-two against guys just to get it going before so we wouldn't have to run these laps and all this stupid stuff. <laughs> Craig, so 
you know, you played with Michael Jordan and you coached yeah. Kobe, the late, great Kobe Bryant. Give the listeners a little inside information of the two and compare. Yeah. Because in my opinion, Kobe's about the closest thing to Michael Jordan oh, that no we've question. seen. No question. And, no and, question about it. Yeah, so give us give us a little insight of, of your time with Kobe as a coach right. and then playing with MJ. Right. You know, and, and the biggest, to me, the biggest thing, um, the common den- denominator between the two was, you know, you for yourself that MJ, how many times we ran sprints against him and he never lost? You know, yeah. so it yeah. was it was it was that type of it was that type of uh, I guess pursuit of greatness and pursuit of being the best that they both shared and and it's something that you know you and I we were no shabby uh, workout guys we worked hard but it, it's a certain it's a certain thing that you know people have for what it is they're doing and you know Lord rest his soul man Kobe was um, you know we would come he would call me. 10 o'clock at night and be like, hi, gee, I need some, I need some contact in the morning. So that means I'm on garden for 35 minutes without ever touching <laughs> So, you know, but, but he was, you know, as soon as I got hired with the Lakers, our first training camp was in Hawaii and, and we were on the plane going over and he was like, yeah, man, I want to holler at you when we get over here. So, you know, the next day he hit me up and he said, yeah, let's go to lunch. And we had lunch for about two and a half hours, man. And it was solid questions on MJ and what it was like playing with him. How did he make guys better? Did he, did I think he made guys better? And, and that type of thing where he was always measuring himself to the accomplishments of MJ and wanting to take it to a higher level, even to the point of, you know, making guys better. So I saw him on both sides of it where I saw him have a relationship with, um, with Sasha Vujicic that was similar to how MJ oftentimes went at Will Purdue, <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? And as far as yeah. being heavy handed, being heavy handed as opposed <laughs> to just kind of chilling. But but at the same time, when he would be heavy handed on him, he might walk up behind Sasha and I mean slap the shit out of him, man. Excuse my French. But at the same time, when Sasha would do something great, he would be the first one to hug him like we've just won a championship. And part of that, they they had some overseas connection before Sasha got there. So, you know, Kobe was a, you know, car, carpet diem, man, seize the day. That was his whole thing was every day he was going to get better. Every day he was going to make his teammates better. And one of the things that was unique between him and MJ that, uh, that hit me when he said it, he said, hi, check this out, man. He said, Lamar Odom is a great player. Every one of these guys are great players or they wouldn't be in the NBA. But their level of greatness is not mine. And my responsibility is to get everybody playing at their level of greatness. And then I know there's no chance for anybody to beat us. And that's something that I think was missing where within, within the context of what we had, we had to, we had to, you know, pull each other along at times when we were playing with that um, superstar icon that when we would go to a hotel, he'd have to get in another van and pull off and, and here we are coming as the Jordanaires pulling in <laughs> like the Beatles without the Beatles without time or John, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, we understood it for what it was. We understood it for what it could be and our I may, and that's why I tell people about having one and having one with the group that I won with is that we were able to see the greatness in Michael's talent every day, but we understood that Bill Cartwright was the sergeant at arms 
in, in closed session. So outside, what y'all saw is MJ running the Bulls was not what we knew going on within the context of our closed meetings and that. He might have been fourth or fifth on the pecking order of actually having an opportunity to speak about things when you talk about, you know, in the locker room and in the pecking order of what it was at different times with, you know, with things that concern Phil and concern the coaching staff. They would come to myself, Pax, um, Bill, and talk to us before they went to MJ. So a lot of things that a lot of people look at from the outside, hey, man, we won the championship because we knew how important it was to be in that moment and stay in that moment and that we may never get there again. And, and we played like it both in practice and in games. And I think that's the thing that both Kobe and MJ brought to, to teams was the ferocity to come in day in, day out and compete. And that's why I tell people when I got to the Bulls, I loved coming to practice and having to go against MJ. That's, that was, that was cool every day. You know how we did the States. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, babe. We didn't take too many L's. <laughs> hey Craig, there, there's really no easy way to make a transition from basketball that you play to what's going on in our mm-hmm. country now with uh, what we saw right. happen in the Capitol with the, the protesters and what happened this past week one of the ugly right. chapters in American history. And, of course, your NBA career was cut short because of the fact that you tried to reach out and make a statement mm-hmm. about the plight of black Americans, about the, the powerlessness of people in this country. And right. the, the league decided that they didn't want to hear those opinions. And at 32, still in the prime of your right. career, you couldn't get a job in the league. Tell us, tell us about right. that chapter in your life. You know, and that's that's one of the, the things for me when I look at being able to sit here today and smile and talk about all this stuff and knowing that, you know, whenever you have challenges within your life for young folks that are watching that, it's one of those things that, you know, the creator, creator never puts on your shoulders more than you can handle. And for me, I was a baby of the movement. I was studying, you know, the importance of freedom, justice, and equality as a young guy, not only for what was, what was in the Constitution, but what is universal law, what was was law from what was prior to us being so-called enslaved and, and as an indigenous human being, what that meant. And I was blessed to have had, you know, Tex Winter who took me to Long Beach State and I was had probably some of the top black minds teach me the importance of, of research and how to research and research method and what it means. And, you know, for me, it was one of those things where I look at, you know, Steph Curry, MJ and Kobe, and the single focus that they have on basketball, well, for me, that was never it. It was, you know, it was 50-50 that, you know, when as soon as the basketball season was over, and Stacey would tell you during the season, it was study time. And, and when I was away from the court, a lot of it was focused on how it could, you know, be a be a, a, an important part of, you know, helping my people realize what we have is a potential. And I think now more than any other time, it's not only it's not only in America, but people worldwide are seeing the, the injustices that have uh, prevailed throughout our sojourn in America. And now more and more people, especially with the advent of social media. So in 1992, when, I, when we, you know, I, we won our second championship and I can't get anyone to give me a job because of what happened in 91 at the White House when I gave President Bush a letter, whether that was it or whatever it was, you know, for me as a human being at that point in time, it was it was depressing to know that I had a lot of game left in as far as being able to be competitive, but also understand the ramifications of, you know, what the looks of it is. You know, when John Carlos and Tommy Smith went to uh, the Olympics in Mexico City, I was an eight-year-old, and, and for me, that was one of the greatest 
things that I've witnessed as a young man. And, and uh, John Carlos, Dr. John Carlos and Dr. Harry Edwards are friends of mine now who I get a chance to communicate with. So for me, it was part and parcel of how I was raised. So certain way you are raised, there's certain ways that you are raised um, really lends itself to how you carry your life. And for me, it was one of those things to see it happen and then to know that Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, who was a much greater scorer than myself, had had his career cut short because of his beliefs. You know, those are things I think the NBA need to go back and and settle out because, I, you know, it's still ongoing, man. It's not a matter of, you know, the fact that you just said it here means that that's something that, that needs to be talked about openly since the NBA is so woke, you know, and that you can give a, somebody like a Donald Sterling, who's an avowed racist, uh, a $2 billion parachute, but at the same time, my family had to suffer financially as well as Mahmoud abdul Rauf's. And, and for me, it's one of those things when I look at it coming full circle that, you know, for me, it's a blessing. It's a blessing that, you know, the NBA blackballed me and what it did for me, it was elevate me to, to a level of consciousness in my own heart and mind that, you know, it wasn't about basketball anyway. It never was. It was all, all about me being able to utilize my talent and skill to be able to go in and mine whatever resources I could to bring it back to the community for them to be able to utilize it to, you know, uplift people, man. Dr. King is my hero and, and his whole thing was the evil triplets of racism, militarism, and economic exploitation. And those are the things that we have to continue to fight and until those are, you know, those are eradicated, man. So when we see what went on at the Capitol for me, I was watching it and I'm saying, okay, June 2nd, when they had the Black Lives Matter rally and they knew they were coming, you had you had the, the National Guard standing on the steps of the Capitol. Now when we have the majority of people and protesters, and, and it's cool for anybody in America because that's what the amendments tell us, that we have a right. So when I see the rights of those who are white, who are walking and marching, peaceful, and then when they get and they start to do their thing, and there's no security around, there's no police around. And now it takes two or three days for people to get arrested and all of this. It's a, you know, for me, this is how I look at it, honestly. I'm sitting in the skybox and I'm watching two teams on the field play that I have no interest in. <laughs> and I've just happened to got, just Stacy gave me tickets to the run. So I'm coming to the run to watch what's happening. But in reality, for me, I'm saying and telling my people now is the, best opportunity we've had to be able to sit down, recalibrate your thinking as an individual and a family, to be able to say, how can I come out of this quarantine type mentality and utilize my individual gifts? And so many young people at this point in time, I'm telling all the young student athletes that I know is to study your passion other than your sport. But while your sport is going on right now, the best thing you can do is train. Do your running, do your miles, do your skill drills, because we don't know when you're going to be able to throw the jump ball up again and, and go play. But now's the time to, to strengthen those characteristics that you need as a student athlete more than any other time. And, and likewise, I'm telling our older people, you know, now is giving you time to research those things in life that you couldn't because your nine to five wouldn't allow you to and you looked at it as a hobby. Now that hobby could actually become a, a true entrepreneur opportunity opportunity for you and your family so let's get at it and, and not look at it as you know Stacy we always understood you know and that's one of the things I always loved about playing with Stacy was that his level of op optimism was always bolstering on 150 you know <laughs> you only got 100 but he was on 100. yeah we know that we know that about Stacy so, so, 
So those are the things for me is that it's that type of exuberance that it has to happen now. And, you know, I just tell everybody who's listening, you know, now is the time for everybody to be smart about what you're doing, you know, put on your mask, you know, carry yourself in a way where you safe for you and your family. And, and before you know it, I think by May we should be out of this thing. Greg, when you look at today's athlete, you know, the LeBron Jameses, the Chris Pauls, that are socially active. They're not afraid yes. to to voice their opinion. You see all these mm-hmm. guys. It started with Kaepernick, and you start Absolutely. to see you start to see these guys the same things that you were vilified for in the nineties. Now you're seeing mm-hmm. these guys now be able to stand up and have a voice. Not worry about what people right. say about them. Not worry about the repercussions of what they say. They're going to say what they believe. They see injustice. So you sitting back watching this and being one of the pioneers in the NBA. What is your feeling on that? How do you feel about that now? Well, man, I applaud it. I applaud it because, once again, you know you learn lessons. And and one of the lessons that I got out of it all, really, you know, in talking to Dr. John Carlos, he was like, when they saw me go to the White House and get a president a letter, him and Tommy Smith called one another and said that that was uh, one of the seeds that they had planted. You know what I'm saying? So, for me, it's it's the same thing, that we're, we're a it's, we're all part of a of fabric. And when I see the young brothers realize that their potential and their power potential more than anything, they understand that they have a following on, on social media like no other. And I think that was the biggest, one of the biggest things with Colin Kaepernick is to be able to have the, the link of social media, something that McMood and myself and you, we didn't have, but now you have as a, an instantaneous <clears throat> source of, you know, support where immediately you can have 5,000 people at a place to support you, where now whoever is the powers that be have to recognize that these young cats realize that injustice is injustice. We can no longer not recognize their feelings about it. And how, and how can we, you know, the way I look at it is the league realizes that the players are the power. Now we're going to allow the players to move in such a way, whether it be, free agency and the like, but ownership is another thing. And I think until, you know, I see LeBron looking at ownership for the WNBA, but I think until power sharing on an ownership level is attained, then I don't know how woke we can get because once again, oftentimes these are just, um, you know, hobbies for the owners who are billionaires and, and their political beliefs carry way more sway than what their bottom line may be on merchandising for one of their teams, you know? And so for me, I think it's, um, it's, it's that level of reality where we are, but at the same time, I applaud. And one of the things I really want to do is make sure that we give, we give credence to sisters like Maya Moore and the impact that the WNBA and they have had in, in this whole journey, man, because they were, they took the lead. I think female athletes in America and the world took the lead before the men. You know, and I think oftentimes, not that it's easier, but I think that they've already been through stro- so many struggles that we had, haven't had to face because of the inequality of male privilege and white privilege and white male privilege at times. So they understand that the impact that they had and the, what they did in Atlanta is, I think, um, you know, plenty, plenty support goes to what, they, what they've done. And I think it, it inspired the brothers to stand up to some degree also, I think. Well, Craig, it's been great catching up with you. Before we let you go, you said you've been doing some writing. You've published some things. Tell uh, yeah. tell our listeners where they can uh, check out some of your work. 
Well, you can check out uh, my book. is called Long Shot, The Struggles and Triumphs of an NBA Freedom Fighter. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, right now, Stacey, I'm writing a book uh, about Tex Winter and the, free, and the wow. Triangle. Oh, wow. And so for me, it's not it's – not, so when I talk about people, when I talk to NBA people about the triangle, they say, oh, man, that's obsolete. And I'm like, how can winning be obsolete? Exactly. <laughs> I, I get in arguments all the time, Craig, about that. You know what I'm saying? So for me, I want to make sure that for me, what Tex did in my life, he blessed me to be able to get a, a college degree. And at the same time, he, he gave me a insight into basketball that is untouched. So I want to make sure that we leave a written legacy. So I'm working with his sons on putting that together because they have a lot of the memorabilia and information that's needed to put it together properly. That is Craig Hodges, one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time and really one of the greatest individuals I had the pleasure to cover during my time in the media. So, Craig, we appreciate you joining us on Give Me the Hot Sauce, and uh, don't be a stranger, all right? (laughs) Hodge, Hodge, I appreciate you coming on there, man. It's big having you on here, man. Stace, you know, man, anytime, brother, love you, and tell the family what's up. Peace Will do, you too. Peace, peace, y'all. Thanks, Sheik. Yep. We're going off the wall next on Give Me the Hot Sauce. It is time to talk some football on Gimme the Hot Sauce. It was the super wildcard weekend. That's because an extra playoff team this year means only one team gets a bye in each conference, Green Bay in the NFC, Kansas City in the AFC. So three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday. Let's start with the Bears. And, Stacy. that game was there to be had. Wims catches that bomb. They're winning at halftime, and all of a sudden New Orleans might go into panic mode because the Bears were getting some pressure on Breeze. It's just offensively they did next to nothing. Well, unfortunately, I was doing a Bulls game, so you were, I didn't really, an eye on it. I didn't really get a well, chance. Second to, screen, second screen. No, I, I, they, you know what? I couldn't get the game, man. I was a little disappointed. It was on Nickelodeon too. I think I was trying to pull it up on yeah, Nickelodeon. Yeah, they were shooting slime when they. Yeah, that's what. They, yeah. I, that's what they told me. Yeah, but I was doing the Bulls game, so I didn't really get a chance. But I saw some highlights. I, I was keeping the score, like getting the score in from the guys from the truck. But I, I knew it was going to be tough for the Bears to go down in New Orleans and beat them. Um, but they had a chance. From what I heard, they had a chance and just couldn't couldn't get the ball in the end zone. You know, I know Southside Susie was watching that game. Southside! She, she's going to represent. She saw every play in the game. I listened to it on the radio. I was in the car coming down here. Um, well, that yeah. doesn't count, then. What, what's going on here? We're trying to get this expert I, opinion for somebody who didn't see the game. I'm not going to lie to you. I woke, up, I woke up this morning, and I was not feeling it. Why is that? I, I mean, come on. They're a joke, and we talked about this last week, and I, I, I just wasn't feeling it, and John's giving me a hard time, and I, I felt my brother, my brother that passed last year, biggest Bears fan ever, Sitch, he was speaking to me from the grave, and so like 9 o'clock, my phone started blowing up, and it was calls from all of his posse, the California guys, the mm-hmm. Texas guys. They're like, such the Bears, you know, and I was like, ugh, and what? Get your game on, girl. And everybody, <laughs> so I just got completely shamed. So I, I restarted, rebooted my day, put my Peyton jersey on, and I was saying, giddy up, I'm all ready to go. So what's going to happen now? The 8-8 eight and eight get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. Some Bears fans think they should fire Ryan Pace, they should fire Matt Nagy. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky's got to go. Is there going to be a big house cleaning, or do you think that they're going to kind of stay the course? 
Who wants that one? <laughs> Who wants that one? I just threw a grenade in the <laughs> middle of the room. Yeah, he and that thing's yeah, ticking. Yeah. Not the senator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> senator King? Stacey's like, I've got no opinion on that. No I, do have, I, do, I do have an opinion Stace of it. Stacey's okay? watching Nickelodeon. <laughs> yeah, I, I do have an opinion of it. First of all, um, I don't think Trubisky needs to go anywhere. I think you've got to you got to tailor your offense around him and his strengths that he does. I don't think the Bears have done that when he was a Pro Bowl quarterback. They did it, and then they've kind of gotten away from that. They need offensive line help. You've got to you sure. got you've got to be able to run the football. Yeah, you got. I, I watched I watched Lamar Jackson today run all over Tennessee. And, He's special. That and I'm not wow. saying Trubisky is like that, but Trubisky can run the football. He can get you six, seven yards if you put some plays and implement the rollout plays where he can use his legs. I don't think they utilize this kid well. And I honestly believe if they give up on him, He's going to go somewhere else and really do well. The problem, though, is that the average starting salary for an NFL quarterback is like eighteen, nineteen million dollars. You going to pay that much money to Mitchell Trubisky per season? Mm. Well, you look at all the look at all the teams that need quarterbacks. Yeah, a lot of I teams, mean, look, there's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks. You got the Washington, New England, the Washington Football Team. You got New England needs a quarterback. I mean, there's some teams out there. You know, the Eagles, even though, you know, Carson Wentz is there, he probably is not going to be there next year. And oh, he's got to be because of his contract. You got Jalen Hurts. Um, there, there's a ton of teams out there that need a quarterback. And you put this kid with the right offensive coordinator, the right system that tailors his strengths. I mean, look at Ryan Tannehill. Everybody thought Tannehill was done once he left Miami. And now he's a he's a Pro Bowl quarterback in Tennessee and took him to the playoffs two years in a row. I mean, yeah. the, I mean you can you can resurrect your career when you get with the right people. So I think Trubisky, in my opinion, is a better quarterback than Tannehill. You're making so, me feel bad for bad mouthing him, Stacy. Oh, no, you know what? Don't try to jump off the bandwagon now. <laughs> you know what? You, you now you're on your little soft side yeah. now. Uh, here soft you are. Side, you're supposed side. to be you're supposed to be ranting here. You oh, you know. I need some energy, Susan. Hey, when hey. the best bet on the game. Is that the kicker scores more than six points? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The bandwagon's a tough oh one. Oh right my now. goodness. The Bears, the Bears, I knew they I knew they were gonna lose though. That's tough to win in, in uh New Orleans. Hey, speaking of energy, I, I'm gonna go back to Southside Sioux here with the radio and, and Shinovsky, Jeff Joniak and Tom Thayer. Yeah. Uh I think Love those in guys. this day and age, with with everything going on, with no fans, the fake crowd noise, I think of Orson Welles, was it War of the Worlds? Yeah. You can, it's unbelievable when you listen to the excitement on the radio, you forget about everything else. I was listening to the Buccaneers last night and how exciting that game was down the stretch with Brady making that big throw. And then even today, you know, the radio, maybe we're going to go back in time, but you, you you don't there's no empty seats there's no the fake crowd noise it's just radio it's just you, one you do realize Stacy does television yeah no besides <laughs> Bulls basketball you know on NBC Way to go Sports Chicago next week Chuck Swirsky <laughs> wow you guys are <laughs> wow John is speechless and that rarely happens. <laughs> So what? No, I mean no, honestly, no, yeah. these are tough decisions for the Bears because if you're going to make a commitment to Mitchell Trubisky, it's going to cost you major dollars, and there's a big percentage of your fan base who thinks the kid can't play that he's not a winning quarterback. It's a tough town. Yeah, <laughs> it is a tough town. It's a tough town if you're not performing. Yeah, but but I, I keep going back to it was the second season that they were twelve and yes, four that was the second and, season. Okay, and he ran all and he over ran the all field over the field against New England. I yes. remember he had ran like, all over the field yeah. and. I want that Mitchell back. 
I want that Mitch Trubisky back. What happened okay? to him? The, well, somebody took the playbook. And he heard his shoulder running the ball last Somebody, year. Somebody took the playbook and put a different playbook and tried to make him a drop-back passer, and that's not who he is. The NFL is not like that anymore. Tom Brady, the Tom Brady's, and, the, and I mean, even Drew Brees moves around the pocket, but Tom Brady is, you know, and Phillip Rivers, those and guys are. And Roethlisberger, maybe. And Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. I mean, he runs a little bit, but he's starting to slow down a little bit. But, you know, those guys are pocket passers. And those are a dying breed now. Everybody's moving out of the pocket. Mahomes, Jackson, uh, Tannehill, uh, even even Carr in in, uh, in uh, you know oh, with the Raiders. I mean, he's he's moving around the pocket. That's the way the quarterbacks are going, man. Yeah, we could see uh, several quarterbacks retiring after this year. Phillip Rivers gets knocked out by the Buffalo Bills, and his comments kind of suggested that this could be the end of the line for him. It looked like the end of the line in that game. They had yeah. a shot to go down and tie that game, and he threw. Th- Two bad throws. I don't know who was sideline. I don't know what he was doing, but that. Yeah, he's lost a little of the zip on his fastball yeah. in recent years. And then, of course, Al- Alex Smith couldn't play for the Washington <laughs> football team because of a calf injury. And when you consider all the surgeries, all the, the trauma that his family had to go through, I, I would not be surprised at all if he decides to call it a career there. And then Ben Roethlisberger. We are recording this episode Sunday night, and as we speak, the Pittsburgh Steelers are losing at halftime, thirty-five to seven. And remember, people were speculating could the Steelers go sixteen and zero? They were like eleven and zero, and they it just completely crumbled the final month nope. of the season. Their their offense kind of fell apart. So Big Ben could be done. We could be seeing a whole new uh, era of NFL quarterback. And there are some great young quarterbacks in the game. One of those that Stacy mentioned, Lamar Jackson, and his running. Just totally took over that game. Well, I tell you what, he he single-handedly put that team on his shoulders. I, I turned around, it was 10-0, and it looked like Tennessee was under control. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, the Ravens are not a good comeback team. If they get down, you know, double digits, it's tough for them to come back based on their offense because they don't throw the ball. And so for them to come back and then put up 17 and be up 17-10 to 10 and then control the clock with his running – uh, it was amazing. And and, I, and one more thing I will say. There is no home field advantage for anybody. No. Okay? There is no home field advantage. Okay? Because I saw the Rams go into Seattle. Seattle. Now, I guarantee if those fans are oh, in Pat Seattle, Stadium, yeah. I don't think, you know, Jared Goff plays as good as he does. I don't think the Rams play as good as they do. So there is no home field advantage. So a team can walk into your uh, field now. And, I mean, look, look, at, look at Cleveland. I mean, they're in Pittsburgh. Right, they're they're on the road. Yep. Yes, they are. They're, they're they act like they're at home. I mean, they are demolishing the Steelers. And they didn't at practice home. all week because of COVID. Exactly, because of COVID issues. Yeah. Exactly. So you think Tampa Bay is going to go into New Orleans next week? I think they are. I okay. mean, there's no pressure. Okay. I mean, when you don't have fifty, sixty thousand people screaming at you, and the, and the the pressure is so intense to make plays, man, it's it's just like a walk in the park. What about golf. weather though? Like the Rams going to Green Bay. That's that, then. That's an advantage that's for Green factor, Bay. That's yeah. a factor because there might be snow and it's cold, and they're you know they're used to being in warm weather, you know. But you look at the dome team. You know, Tampa Bay is not going to have any problem nope. going into New Orleans and and beating New Orleans because it's warm in there. There's no crowd. There's not sixty five thousand people there, so there's no pressure. Yeah, so it looks like the matchups are going to be uh, the Packers are going to play the Rams at Lambeau Field, and then the Saints will host Tom Brady and the Bucks, which will be interesting. And over in the AFC. So Kansas City will get the Browns, right? If the Browns hold up against Pittsburgh? Yeah, because they're the number one seed. Yeah. The Kansas City, yeah. No. Yeah, no, it's the Ravens got Kansas City. The Ravens, the Ravens are, are the seven? Ravens, the Ravens are taking Kansas City. I saw it on the... On oh, the, yeah, the Ravens yeah. are the lower seed yeah. because they played 
Yeah. You're in a wild card. Hey, John, you better go to the Bubble Up app and get some yeah. more research. Yeah. We've we, yeah. we got to yeah. get these matches the straight. The Ravens are playing uh, in Kansas City. Yeah, because after I watched the game, the closing so the Buffalo game, gets they, they the Browns put, then. Yeah, Buffalo would get the so Browns. So you were watching the game then? No, I was watching that game. That was the early game. game. Yeah, that was cool. That was the early game because I was down at the NBC <laughs> studio. When he was in his limo, Windy hours. City limo. <laughs> Windy City, special shout out to <laughs> my, my boy Rami at Windy there you City. Go. He gave me, he gives me a ride down there for every every road game. I appreciate that. Do you man. bring Brixie? No, Brixie stays here. Brixie's here, though. He, he, he Brixie's here now. No, 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 I'll go to sleep, man. Brixie's when I get in the car, I go to sleep. Brixie's been licking my shoes. Oh, hey, at least it's your shoes. That's why this segment is called <laughs> Off the Wall, because you never know Off where we're going to go. We, we know that Stacy's a big uh, big fan of TV documentaries, and, and one of the latest ones coming out is about the king, Elvis Presley. I'm going to win this race. And, and I guess you uh, you got a chance to, to visit Graceland. What was that experience like for you? Oh, man, me and J-Dub, <laughs> we got a chance. We've got a photo <laughs> going up on Instagram. All right, good, we, cool. I'd never... Have ever visited Graceland, and you know I'm the king too. So yes, that's I'm right. The king. So I, the Thank king, you very much. The king. the king didn't get to go see the original king. I've heard all these stories about Graceland. I heard all these stories about you know just touring it, you know. And I never have done it. We've been to Memphis so many times, and I've never had. And John basically held me at gunpoint and said, "Hey, we're going to go do this. I want to do this." And so it was on my bucket list, but I wasn't really, I wasn't, didn't really want to go. At he that was awestruck. He was struck. It was it was amazing. It was amazing. Well, you talk about a guy that lived an unbelievable life. That would be Elvis Presley. We've seen some documentaries where you hear about rock stars and celebrities. He was off the charts. TCB, baby. Take care of business. I got one on my keychain. That's one of my you know, they see all this memorabilia at at the at the place. But let me just say this. You know, when Grayson was built, it was a church, I think. Okay, it was a church. But it was one of the biggest houses in Tennessee. And now when you walk up on it, and I'm sitting there saying, man, I live in Graceland now. Like My house is just as big as... <laughs> I'm like, I, 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 I live in a Graceland right now. Yeah. My house is as big as... Uh, but I'm going to tell you something. It, it, it was an amazing thing. Like it, You felt like you were walking in greatness with you know, where you know Elvis had walked in. I mean... From all his plaques that he got, all his his uh, you know all the stuff, his costumes that he wore, it was an amazing. I mean, we went into a racquetball uh, court that had to be John. What do you say? It's about thirty feet high. Oh yeah, oh, and, yeah. And, and and it was like thirty feet high, and every inch of the wall had a plaque on it yeah. of like you know platinum records. And I'm sitting there like in amazement. I mean, all the way around this racquetball court, and I could not believe like how you know I knew he was talented. But you get a different perspective when you go see him. Plus, he had uh, the three TV screens. You knew the, the story that he had the jungle room, mm-hmm. but he had the Whoa. three TVs because he wanted to watch all the football games. You know, the president had three TVs at the time, you know, and he wanted the same effect. So he had three TVs. So exactly what the king said, you walk around and go, hmm, kind of small. But then you take yourself back to 1970 sure. and go, wow, this guy had everything. Yeah. You know. And and how about this? When his daughter Lisa Marie was a little girl, when she when it was you know, because it didn't snow a lot in Memphis. So whenever she wanted to go, you know, wanted to be playing snow, he would tell his people to fire up the jet. We're going to fly to Colorado right now. And then he they would get in, they literally get in the jet, wow. fly to wherever the snow was, which is Colorado or wherever, 
And they would let her play in the snow as long as she wanted to. And then when she was ready to go, they got back in the jet and they flew back to Memphis. Wasn't it? Wasn't the jet called Lisa Marie? Or Lisa something? Marie. Yeah. And we walked on it. We walked yeah. on his private jet. Oh, and I'm nice. gonna tell you, it, it it was nice for that time too. Like it was, it's nice in the sun of planes and we flew on. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, can we? <laughs> Give me the. Can we get? I mean, we. I, I flew on some planes, the Spirits. I mean, like the Spirit Airlines. <laughs> I'm like, can, can we? Hey, can we get the King's plane? Are you being oh, a hater? I'm just, no. I'm being a hater. I'm I being serious. He got a parachute. Oh my god. <laughs> he had a, he had a, he had a bed in there. Yeah. He had like a, a shower. I mean, it was it for for 1960, 70. That plane was ahead of its time. Yeah, it had the Gatorade. Oh. Little, all his Gatorades and stuff. Yeah. And all of it is in pristine condition. Yeah. Like, they, they got plastic on everything, so you can't, you know, that it stays preserved. Just like when I was growing up, my mom always had plastic on the couches. <laughs> That's what I felt like. I was like, dude, he must have visited my house. He got some ideas from Lois King, because we had plastic on our furniture, too. <laughs> I don't know what y'all laughing. Did y'all have plastic on your furniture? Uh, or no. was that just a that was just a, a no. brother thing? No, no. My, my, no, no. my grandmother had plastic. Okay, okay. see? See? And then you then you, you know, side. and it'd be hot in Oklahoma, like hundred degrees. And then you go sit on that couch and the the, the sticks to you is like your bacon. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was called a Davenport. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Davenport? Yeah. I don't know. Man, I thought I am glad I'm glad I'm not the only one that experienced plastic on the furniture. I know yep. I know all my listeners who uh, grew up like I did. <laughs> I know you know what I'm talking about, don't and the wooden spoons, the big think, wooden spoon and fork used to hang on the wall. Did you have one of those? I had a we had a belt. I, oh. I know I think I know where you're going with Oh the wow. Oh, no. Back to abuse. <laughs> oh my no. goodness. No, we, we had the barber strap. Oh, oh yeah. I had the barber strap. My yeah. grandfather the got one, the, the yeah, yeah you, that you sharpened the yep. <laughs> straight blade with. My, my mom liked that one, dude. Oh, yeah. Dude, my grandfather used to tear me up oh, with yeah. that. He'd be like, "Go get the strap." Yeah, it's I then I just run away. No, John, <laughs> John said I was just taking fishing and hook him in the cheek. Yeah, no. Oh no, wow. No, you no, just get warmed up. Yeah, strap, man. man. Oh, the yeah. strap, boy. Go get the strap. <laughs> I just I, I think no, no, granddad, no. Go get the strap. And then you know what I'd do? I'd just climb up, go outside, because the barbershop was outside in a little shack, you know, because he cut hair. I'd act like I'm going to go get it. I'd just jump over the fence and just take <laughs> off. <laughs> and then my grandmother, I'd run away for like an hour. They'd, they'd try to, you know, find me. My brothers would find me. And I'd come back, and my grandmother my grandmother would be like holding me like a, you know, like a baby. My baby is back, my baby. My grandfather's just looking at me. Go get the strap. <laughs> you still going to get it. <laughs> Oh yes, the golden era of American life. Oh, now we know memories. we know Stacy. Stacy's always a headliner, but uh, Southside Sue was thinking that she'd like to be singing backup at, at some point. What, what, what's the story all about? Well, originally, it, the question was for the king, but <laughs> the, the, the king said, no, no, no. We're going to make the question. Pose the question first. Pose oh, yeah. the question. Your question. Yeah, which you were going to get to me first. And yeah, I nicked the original it. question. Oh, the original yeah. question. Right. <clears throat> so here we go. Take two. So, uh, Stacy, uh, you know, we talked about the Jackson 5 and, and yeah. Michael Tito. And Tito. We, talked, but we talked a lot about the Brothers Gibbs and Bee Gees. What, I was asking, what band, you know, if you could sing backup, you know, one of their songs, like, you know, Harmonize, you know, Beach Boys, Jackson 5, you know. Scratch that. Which, which band would you like to be part of as, the, what, as a backup? 
And Stacy said. What did I say? What did I say, John? What did I say? Backup. Backup. I'm not a backup. I'm a headliner. You you said headliner, and your little sidekick over here said they're not making shows about the pips. No, (laughs) that's true. No documentaries about the pips. So, So I guess the question first for the king is, would you rather be an entertainer, a singer, or an actor? That's easy. A singer. Okay. I would like to be the front man. Uh, I'm telling I'm well, the Michael, Michael Jackson. I'm you know, the Michael Jackson, okay? okay. I'm Gladys Knight and there's Pips, but it yeah. would be Stacy King and the Pips, okay? Because <laughs> I can't be Gladys Knight, but I'd be Stacy King oh. and the Pips. But I would not want to be the guy back there harmonizing. So, like I say, like, yeah, baby, I want you. And then you'd be like, I want you. I'll take that job. Yeah, well, you can have that back. <laughs> yeah, Southside could be the she could be that. Ask Southside. Now, Southside, what band we what you know, band would it be? You know what? You asked me that, and I was stumped because I, I just, I've always fantasized about being a backup singer. I think it'd be the coolest <laughs> thing ever. I'm sorry, Stacy, but I thought about it, and I think I would go one of the Uh Huh girls. For, wow. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Do you remember the Pepsi commercial? Uh huh. <laughs> Ray Charles. Ray Charles. Uh huh. <laughs> That's who you want to be? Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Oh my goodness. Well, see, yeah, Stacy's only headliner, and you know, getting back to the Elvis thing, I, I actually sang an Elvis Presley song at my wedding. To my wedding. Did you? Yeah. Oh, Do we, we need a video of that. Yeah, we need some video. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll try to get the <laughs> video. Get we'll, we'll put it yeah. up on the website. What song did you yeah. sing? I'll have a blue Christmas. Wise men say. Take it out, Mark. Only oh, fools rush. When did he? When did he sing that? When did he sing? What year does that song come out? Uh, uh, probably in the '60s, I would guess. Well, let him sing it. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh I got it. Oh, there's always a hater in the building. Hater in the house. Hater, hater in the house. <laughs> On that note, coming up next, we've got some quick takes with Stacey. That's next here. Give me the hot sauce. It is time for Rapid Fire on Gimme the Hot Sauce. We cover all sports here on the show, and there's some baseball news. Kyle Schwarber, the World Series hero, the guy who hit the ball on the scoreboard against the St. Louis Cardinals in the 2015 playoffs, he is moving on. He signed with the Washington Nationals. Their former manager, or the Cubs' former bench coach, Davey Martinez, is now the manager there, and he told Kyle that one day you're going to play for me. Well, that day has arrived, and, you know, Kyle Schwarber is one of those guys, Stacy, that larger than life because of what he accomplished early in his career. People were saying this guy had such a smooth swing. He was going to win a batting title someday. Well, he leaves Chicago with a career batting average of 230. Oh, that hurt. Hater in the house. Hater. Oh, come hater on now. Just giving statistics. Hater, hater in the house. Hey, he had to hit us with that one. And he left with batting 230. <laughs> wow. Now, are they going to have a DH the National they haven't League decided yet, but the spe- because the belief is yes. I he's got yes. Ex- that, that's what I would thought yeah. he would do. But go to American League and be a DH. He has an extremely plus arm, and he makes a lot of plays with his arm in left field. But having covered the Cubs for eight years, yeah. it's there's a little watching him on routes and running down baseballs. It's and, really ner- it's nerve wracking. <laughs> Well, he joked yesterday yeah. in his meeting with the reporters. A fly ball, going after a fly ball. He said, nobody wants to see me in left field. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Exactly. That's, well, exactly. I mean, when you watch him try to track a fly ball down, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh. He's not, he's, not, he's not as bad as Jose Canseco. Oh. But it, but Jose wasn't bad in his younger days. No. It, it's when he got when he started getting too big yeah. and he couldn't move. And his his neck and his arms. <laughs> he was like a T Rex out there. I love trying, Jose trying to catch balls. Why you know? why is that, Southside yeah. Sue? I he I just he's the guy. 
You like him? <laughs> wow. Okay. So you got to get in the tub, get some steroids, yeah. John. <laughs> Forget better, those baseball cards. You better cards. start working out there, John. <laughs> get in the gym there, big guy. Speaking of working out and working out, what about that story um, out of California with the clubhouse guy? Bubba's special sauce? Yeah. You the, saw the movie yeah. uh, Space Jam where, the, you know, the, you got to have some MJ secret sauce to make you play better? <laughs> well, right. apparently there's a clubhouse guy that's helping pitchers get a better grip on the ball and some of the b- biggest names in the game, Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, and he lost his job because uh, they found out that he was concocting this stuff, and it's illegal against the rules. Oh, man, I tell you what, but there's probably a lot of people that was using this concoction to get an advantage, okay? I mean, but at the same time, like, man, it's like, you know, why why are you ratting people out, man? Yeah. Whatever happened to the, you know, hey, the loyalty of the... I, it dies I, with it, you. It, the it, yeah, exactly, the code. There is yeah, no, code. no code. Well, the guy's name is Bubba Harkins, and he lost his job. Now he wants to sue the Angels organization, so Dang. these guys may all be called in to testify in his behalf. Yikes. Make some good stick them. The concoction. Like the days yeah. of Fred Abelitnikoff yeah. and the Raiders. Yeah. Lester Hayes. Yeah, coming off the, coming off the earlobe, touching the baseball. It's like, it's like, oh, my goodness. It sounds like something about Mary. <clears throat> oh, Ouch. wow. I don't know there's not much of a transition from there. So uh, yeah. You're kind of stuck there. Yeah, we, we, we can't move anywhere now. <laughs> so this is where we got to go. You know, you dumped me with a bot of reason and resin and whatever that stuff. And we're going now Rosin. to... What happened with uh, in the world of baseball? One of the great ambassadors, Tommy Lasorda, passed away at the age of 93 this past week. And when you consider one of the good guys in the game who touched people all over the world, he was, you know, he was well known with uh, entertainers. He'd have singers come in the clubhouse. Don Rickles, Frank Sinatra. You know, he was uh, really a guy that touched a lot of people around the world, and, and he'll be missed because of what he brought to the game. My favorite thing was when he, two things when. The uh, Kurt Gibson at the home run against Dennis Eckersley in 1988. He comes running out on the field to see a guy that old and that heavy run. You know, it's sort of a sight. And then I used to always remember when he'd come to the games, you know, either at Dodger Stadium or at Wrigley, we'd always take a shot of him, and he'd always be like looking, almost sleeping, sleeping. And it was like, is he asleep yet? And then he, you know, he'd pop up, and then you know, it just it made for for good TV because everybody knew who he was, and you know, he didn't really care if he was sleeping or not. He was time with Sora. And he was at the 2020 World Series down in Texas when the Dodgers won, and that was one of the things he told Dave Roberts, the manager, that he hoped to live long enough to see his beloved Dodgers win one more title, and he got a chance to do that. And when you think about his accomplishments in the game, Stacey, this this is a guy that that touched a lot of lives in the game. Two-time World Series champion and just two times National League Manager of the Year. Unbelievable. I mean, I used to watch them on uh, Saturdays. They used to have these shows on the kids could watch. Sure, yeah. And you remember those shows? They yeah, baseball, baseball. Baseball. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And those were, like, awesome. And he was always, like, one of the main people on that. Oh, you know, he was awesome. So uh, big personality, probably bigger than the game. You know, I think people, when they look at the Dodgers, his name is the first thing that pops in your head when you think Dodgers, Tommy Lasorda. That's, I mean, over all the great players that played there, yeah. his name probably resonates more than any of the players that ever played there. That tells you the testament of how good he was and how people looked and at how him. Popular and he popular was. he yeah. was, yeah. And he said he loved to come to Chicago to Wrigley Field to beat up on the Cubs, but he had one day where Dave Kingman hit a home run down Kenmore. Three. Yeah. Three home yeah. runs. And, and he was asked uh, afterwards, what do you think of Kingman's performance? performance. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're looking for a good. Yeah. yeah. Check Beep. it out on YouTube. Beep. Yeah. A lot of beeps. And we're not talking about a car backing up. 
Yeah, people talk about the Lee Elia rant. This Tommy Lasorda thing is almost as good with Kingman hitting those home runs. So RIP to Tommy Lasorda. He was one of the greats now in uh, Dodger Blue in the sky. Time for On the Down Low, and uh, we're going to get some inside thoughts on the national championship game coming up. That's Monday night, Alabama hosting the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, Stacy, I know you mentioned last week that you were leaning Alabama. You staying that way? Are my Oklahoma Sooners in the championship? I don't believe so, no. <laughs> okay, and I can't say they're going to win. I, I'm going with Alabama. They, they, they just, it's a pro factory down there, man. They just, they, I mean, they're, they're number one guy. They got their number four guys just as good as your number one guy. So I, I think Ohio State, if, if Justin Fields can, can you know, do what he's been doing and move the football and Trey Sermon can run the football like he's been running the ball, they've got a legit chance to win. But I'm going with Alabama. Yeah, I've got to pull for Ohio State. My daughter graduated from Ohio State, so I'm rooting for Justin Fields and the Buckeyes. It's going to be tough because Alabama is loaded, especially on the offensive end. They're going to be tough to stop. But it could be a high-scoring game. Hopefully it's going to be entertaining because sometimes these games get out of hand quickly. <laughs> it's not a lot of hope. Yeah, that's true. Much. All right, so we, before we get out of here, we've got a great story about a package delivery. You know, everybody's going to, not going to the stores and they're getting Amazon deliveries. And I guess the, uh, the Walsh household had a little bit of a – Incident with the delivery. Yeah, we had. Um, it, I I got I got in a little bit of trouble. Oh yeah, what with happened? My kids. Um, I got a, an email that a package was delivered, and they give you a nice little picture. I think they do that for self defense. Because um, I have two dogs, and they don't like dogs, so um, they delivered a package. They showed me a picture of it on the driveway. Um, and when we got home, we couldn't find the package and we looked everywhere. And so my daughter concluded it was stolen and you know, I didn't think it was stolen, but who knows? So I got my famous driveway cam up and we checked it out and we saw the Amazon guy pull up, pitch the package and some time went by and there was another, you know, motion sensor. So we looked and, uh, oh my God, I come barreling down the driveway I didn't see the package. I'm going to have to blame the snow, the the, the high snow that that oh, I driving? That, that I shoveled, by the way. Yeah, we remember that story. Yeah. That was good. And, uh, <laughs> and so I come, my jeep comes barreling around the corner, and I actually ran the package over because I didn't see it and dragged it all the way up the driveway. So the stolen package was found. I you didn't you didn't hear it when you hit it? No, I didn't see it. That's anymore. scary for pedestrians, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's right. scary for that's scary for us real folks. Lord, up if Southside hits one of us, she'll drag us. Yeah, I drag him a couple blocks. It didn't matter. I've got no defense. <laughs> the popcorn still pop? Yeah, it was. Yeah, interestingly, it was full of popcorn. I guess Amazon had some deal on Skinny Pop, and one of the kids ordered. A whole yeah, lot. yeah. So it wasn't even damaged, thank God. But yeah. Yeah. Speaking of dogs, I think we we may have gone a little long <laughs> on our podcast. This, this poor Brixton is under the table. And oh, he, he's snoring away. Oh my goodness, he's snoring so loud. I think right he might now. have passed some gas in the last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what. Oh, <laughs> I'm over here dying. It's hot here in the Nala Studios right now, and you know how when the room gets hot yeah. and then that happens oh. it just stays in here and lingers <laughs> it's like it's like going to a club with everybody's smoking yeah. and it's in your clothes i smell like dog poop right now in my bolo it's like come on brixton can you wait till we got outside there big guy we turned off the fan because yeah. it was making noise on the recording we got no then, beer we 
got no air conditioning. We got dog. We we got a dog pass gas. And dog snoring. He's snoring snoring so loud. It sounds like this. Like one of y'all. I looked around. I was like, I was like, somebody falling asleep here on the set. Like Tommy Lasorda. God rest his soul. (laughs) It is. It is nine thirty as of recording. It is. It is. It is nine thirty. It's past his bedtime right now. So Brixton, Brixton, he's supposed to be sleep right now in his little bed. This, this is on the down low. I'll tell you an on the down low story about Tommy Lasorda. He was a guest panelist on Sports Talk Live. This was several years ago. And you know how that show goes, John. Sometimes you got to wait uh, to, to hook you up or there's a delay with the satellite technology. Well, we we're going to go to Tommy. I was sitting on the panel. And they're going to go to Tommy, and they had to wait through a commercial break. They came out to him, and he was fast asleep. <laughs> See? He was fast asleep. <laughs> so tourist. David Kaplan, the host of the show, was like, Tommy, are you, are you with us? Oh, okay. Hello, Dodgers Chicago. win. Dodgers win. <laughs> Dodgers, Dodgers win. win. I, you know, once you got him going, though. Yeah. Because we did an interview when I was at the Diamondbacks, mm-hmm. and we had a young uh, host that was starstruck. And so they're asking the questions. His name was, I'm not going to say he's a guy. And he's asking questions, asking questions. And I'm producing this show, and I'm like, oh, my God. It went past the top of the hour, and that's when the, the big show comes on. I'm doing right. pregame. And I'm going, I'm in his ear, Barry, you got you got to cut him off. Barry, we're going to break. Barry. And Barry's just looking at him. And Barry reached over and grabbed his knee. And just touched his knee, <laughs> squeezed his knee. I, I guess Tommy took to that signal. To oh man! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, when you got to get to commercial, sometimes you just got to get to commercial. You got to get, those, you gotta you get those bills paid. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Wow. And we got to get some bills paid too. So we're we're going to get out of here. We want to thank our guest Craig Hodges, who is just fantastic. Great having Haji on the show. And last week we teased the fact we're going to have Bill Cartwright. We're going to have him on a future show. I, I know that Stacy is looking forward to talking with Bill about your time. Yes, together. sir. Yes, sir. He's, teach. Uh, he's, yeah, Teach is, uh, he told me he's going to come on and gave me his commitment. So uh, we got some, some really good guests coming on in the near future. So make sure you keep tuning in. So make sure you check us out. We're on all the uh, the podcast platforms. We're growing. Spotify, we're, iTunes. We're, we're growing. We got listeners Closing all over the two, world. Two K. Closing we're, in on two thousand. Yeah, we're cro- we're growing very very fast, and we we want to say thank you to all you guys who subscribe to the show because you know if you don't do that, then we, hey, we're just a bunch of guys talking. So we really appreciate you guys uh, subscribing to the show. Keep passing the word. Let them know that there's an underground hit called "Give Me the Hot Sauce." With Stacy King and Mark Chanowski and the boys, are those mixtapes? I'm still selling still mix. Selling I'm still selling mixtapes out the trunk, baby. Underground rapper. And it's good that you're not telling the fans to shut up anymore when you do that. <laughs> you know what? Here, here's see, see, there you go, Mark. You could, just couldn't leave well enough alone. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I know you. You're pretty sure. Remember that night when we were? I don't remember what game it was. Yeah. But we have reads to read. You have to read these commercials on TV, and so. They had me read this read that was so small that I would have had to get a, a magnifying glass yeah. out to do it. And I'm trying to call a game too, so I'm looking at the read and I'm like, I'm reading it. I don't even I don't even pre-read. It. I just read it. Read it and out. I swear I thought it said "Shut up, fans." <laughs> and I looked and I stopped mid sentence. I go, "Shut up, fans." I go and I go, "Man, that's rude. Who would say something like that to the fans?" And then I look at it. I get a little closer. I get the magnifying glass out. It says, "Suit up, hey fans, suit up." <laughs> I heard him read it the I other night. He nailed readers. it. 
You nailed it. Maybe there's. You time. know what? Maybe you time. need to be quiet. Ben okay. okay. Ben I don't need readers. Okay? okay. Okay. I got 20, 2015 Just videos, shut up, Ben. Okay. Yeah. Just shut up, then. That's a good point. Shut up. Well, we love all our loyal listeners, and we hope you'll always tune in. The alerts are coming your way for Gimme the Hot Sauce. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again real soon. Drive home safely. Beep, beep. <laughs>